Hey, everybody, and welcome to EdSoul, a podcast for educators by educators. Each episode, we bring you insights, techniques, and strategies rooted in research that you can put into practice in your classroom right away. I'm your host, Rachel Logan. Hey, soulmates. Sourceful is here to come alongside you on your professional journey as an educator and help you achieve your goals as you work to boost student success. Today, you're going to hear from longtime Sourceful Educator Summit presenter and external guest, Dr. Phil Work of Marzano Research. We're grateful to have the opportunity to share Dr. Phil's work with you, even if you didn't get a chance to make it to the Sourceful Educator Summit in August. Dr. Phil has extensive knowledge and experience on leading a highly reliable school system. We invite you to listen in and use this conversation as it fits with your own work and journey. We're glad you're here. Let's get to it. Hey, soulmates. If you didn't get a chance to hear Dr. Phil work at our Sourceful Educator Summit, you are in luck because he has agreed to provide us with a bonus mini episode here on Edsel. We have been fortunate to work with Dr. Warwick in our region over the last few years, as well as host him at several of our Sourceful Education conferences. Dr. Phil is an author, a presenter, and has worked globally in areas of school leadership, instruction, collaborative practices, and grading. And now we are excited to have him as a guest on Edsel for the very first time. So welcome, Dr. Phil. Thank you very much. Honored to be here. Beautiful, beautiful resort in Minnesota. And really glad to sit down with you guys a little bit. Oh, well, we appreciate your extra time. Um, I always like to start by asking people about their why, what drives their work. So if you think about the work that you do, and it could be anything that I listed in that mm-hmm. lineup of uh, the many gifts that you share with educators, um, what makes you personally connected to the work that you do? What is your why? Well, there's a couple of things. First, when I was the principal at Round Rock High School, in Round Rock, Texas, we became a lab school for Dr. Marzano. And a lot of the things that we have built into the HRS model, we were doing and putting into play. So firsthand, I've led this in a school and seen what it can do to bring systems of operation into a situation that really had great potential, just needed the systems to drive the right work. Mm -hmm. And so I've done it myself in my own school And then I truly believe everything that we go through in life sets us up for what we're supposed to do next. So I had gone through a career as a teacher and assistant principal and a principal and a superintendent and then a principal of a large urban school. Everything I learned along the way just made sense when we started to think about the HRS framework. And when Dr. Marzano and I sat down and started to think about it, What occurred to me was this is what I've been chasing my entire Mm -hmm. ed admin career is a framework to help corral all of this stuff and understand how it works together. So I think it was just the historical journey I'd been on as a leader, always looking for something like this to help me understand here's what you want to focus on and here's how to know if it's working. Nice. And just for, I know a lot of our regional listeners know what HRS is, but can you give us the stands for high reliability schools and it's based on the research of high reliability organizations and a high reliability organization is an organization that cannot tolerate high levels of failure. Mm. And so when we understood what those were, 
we looked and there was no blueprint for the concept of high reliability in education. So we built one <laughs> Yeah, because we're expected to be that we're expected mm-hmm. to have low levels of failure and, and right. you know, ideally no levels of failure. Right. We're talking about children. <laughs> That's right. We're talking about children and futures and lives and families. And so we decided we've got to build one because that's what we're asked to be. And that was really a labor of love for us to sit down and do that. It took us about 18 months to really pull it all together. But I had the great benefit of working with Dr. Marzano, who already had 57 plus years of research. And then we grabbed onto some other really key pieces and it would just, it just started to unfold naturally. Nice. So you mentioned doing the right work just a minute ago, and many of our regional schools have found success using the high reliability schools framework. Um, you're going to, or well, if you're listening, the breakout has already happened. We're talking before the breakout, but sure. you talk about the right work. So can you elaborate a little bit more and tell us what you mean by doing the right work? Yep. Um, there's so many things that can draw the attention of educators and leaders and the resources away that are kind of magic fixes. Yeah. And there's just no end to the programs you can get. So what we did is we went back to some of the most, uh, stable and tried and true pieces of research around what do we know successful schools do? What are the things about successful schools that make them successful? And we really picked a a lot of really seminal pieces of research. A couple of them were the uh, Larry Lazat's correlates of effective schools. Then we looked at studies like um, the Wallace Foundation study, which is the largest single study ever done on the effect of school-level leadership on student achievement, Mm -hmm. uh, among hundreds of others. And what was interesting is, is we kind of did a qualitative analysis of what are the things that are common because things just started to unfold as this is the right work. And so we call those leading indicators Mm -hmm. in the model. And that the, the term leading indicator, we actually borrowed from the research on high reliability organizations because whether it's a hospital or a manufacturing plant, or a retail store. The concept of leading indicators is an, is actually an economics term, and it really means the conditions that you want to establish and sustain for your best opportunity to be successful. So we used that same term. We didn't want to change anything yeah. from the concept of high reliability, but then we took the ed research and we substituted it in because by looking at that, it started to tell us, here are the conditions successful schools implement and sustain. It's like demystifying the process. That's right. You know, like it doesn't have, you're not shooting in the dark here. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And plus giving somebody some stable targets that aren't moving all the time. And it also helped us understand you don't always just draw a direct line to student achievement scores for school improvement. Yeah. Because there are some conditions, some leading indicators that if they're not present, your ability to move student achievement is going to be very, very limited anyway. Yeah, uh, That's why the first level is safe, supportive, and collaborative culture. Mm-hmm. There's some things that have to be right there yeah. in order for you to have a chance to get things moving. So that's that's what we mean by the right work, the leading yeah. indicators within each level. Nice. And I, I love how it's not just when you say safe, supportive, collaborative we're talking adults too, right? Like everybody, because if we just look at student achievement, that looks like the onus is on 
students and, and kids, but you're looking at the entire, all the adults in the system. Absolutely. That's a great grab on your part. In fact, it kind of begins with the adults in the system. Mm-hmm. How do we treat each other? How do we approach our students? What are the systems that we as adults all agree to get involved and use with fidelity to make sure that they do the things we want for our kids? So yeah, it's it's all encompassing. And interestingly enough, some of the research we looked at about organizations and organizational culture, one of the things that that just really jumped out at me was when I read a piece that said, no single person in an organization ever truly acts alone. Mm. They might think they do, mm. but their actions will in some way, shape, or form, positive or negative, mm. have a reaction on somebody else within, yeah. the, within the organization. So it is about the adults and the students yeah. and everybody involved. We're all connected. That's right. <laughs> Every, everything is connected. Absolutely right. So can you, I know you work with Mar, Dr. Marzano and Marzano Research. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us kind of a high level, high level overview? Because I feel like this is going to be very much connected to the framework that you mm-hmm. do of the new art and science of teaching um, standards and how it impacts student achievement. So we talked about those standardized tests, but um, maybe you want to elaborate, expand what student achievement means to you and how that new art and science of teaching fits in. Yeah, no. Um, so in HRS level two, effective teaching every classroom, the very first leading indicator, the right work says that the school clarifies how instruction should be addressed in the school. Well, the implementation strategy for that is implement and sustain the use of a model of instruction. But it has to go farther than that. That model of instruction needs to be research validated, mm-hmm. and it really needs to be something that is applicable across all contents and all grade levels. So the new art and science of teaching was very, very specifically built to serve that purpose. And the reason that I am such a fan of it, besides the fact that we used it, there's a nice little factor built in there. And it's the relationship of instructional elements and instructional strategies. So there's 43 research validated elements. Which sometimes people go, oh, Yeah, they 43. panic, right? Oh my gosh, 43. But <laughs> yeah. honestly, if you go into a great teacher's classroom, you're going to see seven, eight, nine of them kind of constantly yes. just in, in motion, right? right? It's not that they are these gigantic standalone pillars. A lot yes. of times they're just interdependent. They work together. Yeah. But the key to that relationship is the elements identify the conditions that really are optimal for students to learn and acquire knowledge, but there could be 20 or 30 different strategies Mm. for each of those elements. Mm. So teachers have a lot of choice Mm. in how they create that condition in their classroom. And that's very purposeful. Yeah. And so it creates a situation of defined autonomy. Mm. So if it's our instructional model and I'm a teacher in the school and I look at one of the conditions is previewing. Well, previewing is a condition of learning. Now you might preview by doing short brainstorming activities with your students, but I might preview through the use of a KWL activity. We're both correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the power of it because it's defined, create these conditions, but it has autonomy. How you create them is up to you. And that allows it to be applied everywhere from kindergarten to 12th grade, from English to um, any CTE courses, because the element strategies give the teachers the flexibility to use it uniquely yeah. for their age of learner and their content. You, 
I'm pretty sure you worked with our former leader, Rennell Shook. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love so, Rennell. Hey, Rennell, yeah, if you're listening. I, I absolutely love Rennell. In fact, Rennell <laughs> is probably the person responsible for me doing work yes, here. She came, it in. she came to a HRS summit in Denver. Yeah. I think it was our second one we ever held. And um, at that time, she said, hey, could you and I sit down? We went into a kind of a chair table storage area, which we could find <laughs> the first place we could. And she kind of told me about Sourcewell, which yeah. at that time was not Sourcewell. Right. At that time, you had a different name. We did. What was it? NJPA. NJPA, that's right. I can't even remember it. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. It's just Sourcewell <laughs> to me now. But um, she was so committed to the cause. And so we talked about, hey, this is what we need. This is what it could do. Yeah, absolutely. Rennell was great. So her voice is ringing in my in my brain, in my ear right now when listening to you speak about where do we need to be tight and where do we need to be yep. loose. And I'm hearing that tight, loose come through with the, the NASAT, the newer in science of teaching, where it's we got to be tight on what the expectation is or what our, our research-based strategy is. But then we're not asking educators to be robots, right? You, exactly you right. bring you, you bring in, you know, whatever flavor and um, unique characteristics and styles that you have to hit those targets. That's but right. we're, we're going to make sure that we're all doing the right work, right? That's, that's exactly right. And so what we encourage in the HRS work for schools to do is start with what we call snapshot model. You don't have to start with all 43 elements. Mm sit down with your staff and collaboratively walk through and ask yourselves, what are the conditions for learning, the elements that we would like to see in all of our classrooms? Yeah. And there's different ways to do that, but it really lets you make it your own. And Dr. Marzano says that to schools when we're working with them all the time, goes, take this research base and make it your own. Yeah. Just use the research base, but you know what, if you want to find the 20 elements that really you think this is what we start with, then let's do that. And so that's such an important point because it also doesn't overwhelm educators, yeah. but it still offers them the freedom that you just referred to so uh, correctly to just say, hey, here are the conditions and how I create it's up to me. Yeah. The other thing I think is important is when you look at that model, it also accounts for all the different phases that occur in learning. Mm. What do we do when it's brand new knowledge? That's direct instruction. Yeah. How do we help our students practice and deepen? What do we do to help them apply knowledge? So it really also serves as a guide so that as teachers are progressing through a unit of instruction, they can use that and say, oh, you know what? Maybe that is something I'll try. Yeah. So there's just It's very flexible that way. And of course, it's research validated, so we know it works. Yeah. So we are headed into a brand new school year. We're we're kicking off here at the at the summit. What do you want educators to know going into a new school year? That's a great question, and I've actually been asked that a couple different places this summer <laughs> um, by a couple superintendents and principals. And I think there's a couple things. First, as tough and as much as the pandemic causes a struggle, that is well in our rearview mirror now. Mm -hmm. And so it's time for us to just say, hey, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm -hmm. At some point in time, we got to just realize we are past it. We are back. We are ready to roll because our kids need that badly. Mm -hmm. And so, and we need that with each other. Right. You know, so it's that, that while well, as tough as it was, thank goodness it's behind us and we can get back to a little more of a normal operation and really go back to educating kids. Yeah. The second thing is, 
while I understand the effectiveness and the need and the efficiency of online-based instruction or virtual-based instruction, Mm -hmm. there is no substitute for the human contact that occurs in a classroom. Yes, That is why we talk about the art and science of teaching. The other Mm -hmm. day, I had the privilege of uh, training 60 brand new teachers to the profession who are in some districts in Nebraska that, that are served by a regional agency, much like you guys. And the very first thing we trained on was how you cultivate successful student teacher relationships. Nice. Because if you win that game first, everything else is more effective. And it was, it was just fun to walk through that with them and just remember how important that is. So you go back to a new school year, you've got this window of time. And that window of time is probably about five to eight days right away to make that relationship, build that bridge, make those connections, and really communicate to, to your students, boy, am I glad you're here. Uh, I, I respect that you're here as a learner. I'm going to do my best to help you learn and just start to really build the human connection mm-hmm. that if that's in place, everything else functions much more effectively. Nice. Well, thank you again for sharing um, some snapshot pieces of what you're sharing with educators here today at our Sourceful Educator Summit. Um, before you go, I know I will make sure there are links to the resources that you've mentioned and the HRS framework, and um, you are an author as well. But yeah. uh, what are, what do you read or what do you listen to or is anything that you want to put out there? And it could be education or not if it's yeah. also just kind of like feel good. You, Totally your call. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you a couple answers on this. Okay. Besides Sometimes, Edsel, I'm sure you listen yeah, to Edsel podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. I have about 12 different podcasts I really like. But, you know, every once in a while, you just kind of need that um, break. For sure. And you want to listen to something that's um, entertaining. But I'm such a learner mm. that when I'm listening to something entertaining, it also has to have some way for me to learn. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I stumbled onto a really great podcast, and the name of it is History That Doesn't Suck. Oh. <laughs> and it's done by a college professor okay. and his students, and they start at the very beginning of American history, and what they do so well is they, they address all the little facets of history that no one ever told us about. Nice. The things that, and, and so me, I, I'm a history nut, I'm a, I, I just, love all aspects of history. I have just enjoyed it because they are these little side stories, these little heroines that you don't know about, or these people that you, I never even heard of that person. I didn't even know that occurred, Yeah, but they were, they were seminal key moments in these amazing historical uh, events that, that this guy and his, and his class uncover. And they also do a really good job with the storytelling of it. So nice. I love to listen to that. The second thing I'm doing around reading just got done with Dr. Marzano and Dr. Mario Costa, and we just finished uh, the next HRS book, which is called uh, Five Big Ideas for Leading a High Reliability School. Nice. And so my reading assignment right now is I'm in the um, read it and make sure it says what we want it to say and it reads <laughs> the way you want phase. All right. So I'm kind of working my way through that. But the thing that I like is I think we we make some really good points in there and we help people understand this whole thing is about data-driven leadership, but mm. data-driven leadership when you're focusing on some of the little pieces of data that really help you make sure all the conditions are in place to help students learn. 
Nice. So when's that going to be available? That'll be the book that's in the bag at the HRS Summit in oh, January. Okay. And then that that's how they're going to release it. Excellent. And yeah, and in fact, um, I'm hoping uh, Dr. Marzano and I did a did a keynote together at last year's HRS Summit. It was really fun. It was just just great. I'm hoping he'll he'll be up to doing that again. He doesn't travel as much as he used to, but I pitched the idea to him and I said, "Why don't why don't we tag team this one and and so he's to this point he said okay. Uh-huh. Um I have a call with him sometime next week and uh, we'll see if he's still on board. If so, then that's what we'll base our keynote on. Nice. That sounds like something you're not going to want to miss. No, nope, hope not. Hope not. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us and um I hope you enjoy the rest of your time here in beautiful Minnesota. I and- absolutely will. Your weather compared to what I've been dealing with in Texas is absolutely <laughs> fabulous. Oh, well, we appreciate you, Dr. Phil. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's all we have for this episode of EdSoul, a podcast for educators by educators. If you are loving the show, make sure you share it with a friend. Your personal recommendations are powerful. And if you really love this show, we would love it if you could rate and review us within your preferred podcast app. Your ratings and reviews will help other people discover the show and benefit from these great strategies as well. Check out our show notes for a recap of this episode and a list of resources mentioned or referenced. If you're a social media type, connect with us on Facebook. Search Education Solutions Educators Group and request to join. If you're an e-newsletter type, you should subscribe to our education e-newsletter by emailing us at education at sourcewell-mn.gov. The e-newsletter goes out monthly and includes updates and events for our local educators. Special thanks to our Sourcewell Education Solutions office support team and multimedia for your production support. This podcast is brought to you by Sourcewell. Sourcewell is one of nine service cooperatives in Minnesota. We are a self-sustaining government organization that partners with schools, local government, and nonprofits to boost student and community success. Learn more at mn.sourcewell.org.